Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, the one, the only, the Seth, and Mike. The crowd goes wild. Excellent. How are we doing? Gentlemen. Well, if you can tell by my intro, it's going to be an interesting day today. Yeah, why? Because I changed it up. Mix some things up a bit. Switch it up. Just change. Just Just at the very last second, bring it on. Exactly right. So we need to be adaptable. We need to be, you know, flexible, just like our BI solutions. Mm -hmm. Oh, very good. I'm self-serving this intro. Yes. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's uh, let's talk about some other things. We've got some kind of announcements and or news that have happened here recently. So we've got some uh, really interesting things um, coming up. Before we get into that, let's talk about just some generic links or things that have been happening around the community. A big news update, I would say. Well, maybe not big. Let's call it a news update. The Power BI desktop was released yesterday, and it's been quite a while since desktop has been out with any updates or any substantial updates other than just kind of um, maintenance things. So this has been a real, this has been, I feel like, a pretty solid update. What do you guys think? Did you guys look at the the preview? Any features that stick out to you? Y- y- yes, but I mean, yeah. I agree with you. There, there, are, there are a lot of substantial updates, right? So you can tell that. Uh, Shaking, shaking off the the holidays and and getting back into the the swing yeah. of things. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack here. Um, lot lot of so some theme changes, right? Uh, they are now validating themes, theme files as they come in. Mm-hmm. They added some which uh, means if additional you, base if themes. You, or, yeah, yeah, base themes now. If you if it means if you bring a theme in that doesn't have the right syntax, it will reject it right out. Right. Well. It won't necessarily reject it. It will let you know there's an issue with it. It won't load it. I wasn't. I was doing testing. It won't load it. It won't load it at all. That's Mm-mm. that's their nice way of saying try again. Try again. You got the wrong theme file. <laughs> yeah, you're straight up getting hardcore rejected now. Yep. It's, it's they're not letting you. They're not letting you slide as much as they used to in the past. So, anyways, that that's a that's an interesting development there. Yeah, I thought that was a good one. Um, yeah, and then along with that, what they added some. Um, some themes, some additional themes, base right. themes for uh, uh, color safe. It's uh, color, colorblind color, safe or, color or safe. accessibility safe. I guess it would be so. Why right. I can never accessibility? That's the that's the word you're looking term for. that we're looking for. Yes. Um, some some changes to a few of the property things, right? Which are conditional formatting on on string fields, right? Because okay. typically it's always count count distinct. It's so big. It's, this is huge. It, doesn't it work in some areas or is this this, this is, is the rollout of that if you need to like just just imagine like you have a data in a column and like you know have good bad you know medium or whatever just just text in a column in order yeah. to get that to work you would have to do a, a a a measure that would take the text and then provide the hex color code in a, like a switch statement and say okay if it's red then the measure will provide this hex color code and then it would be used in the, in the visual you could never just add like when the text is good, make it green. Like it's su- super simple. Yeah. And like you've never been able to do that before. Now that you can actually program it to be a certain way, this will also make sense a lot. This, this is the first time we're seeing like data values inside the context of a column being bound to a specific color. So, you know, if you have a color branding scheme or you have, you know, con- companies that you're working with and you want all of them to be the same color, you can in the visuals go now and tag you know for example maybe you work with like you know candy or whatever you know m&ms has a certain color skittles is always red right 
the the brands of things you can now make them a single color based on a text field that's this is all this is i don't know why this hasn't been out this, forever yeah so the design part these are huge things for, the, for just being able to save uh, based on the text field but not only that um one of the big things that i a lot of people are talking about are the tables and being able to edit the size of the images oh that's people another are, big one yeah, yeah. People are going crazy for that because there's apparently this really opens up the doors to what you can do from a design point of view. And in, in yeah. so. I saw a really interesting um, a text message or not text, which is more of like a, a tweet from Daniel Marsh Patrick, who's now building really skinny, long, wide visuals, SVGs inside a table where he can now do like basically a box and whisker plot inside a visual. Well, that opens up a whole new realm of like table-based visuals where people are going to be able to build custom SVG uh, and then be able to inject that directly into a measure, which then will render an SVG-based um, icon or visual inside a table. I think that's going to be huge. I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting uh, details around that one. I'll see if I can go find the, the Twitter tweet on that one. Yeah. One of my favorite one by far is the smart narratives on the visuals. Um, I love this because and just testing it out already. Uh, I think the smart narrative visual, we've talked about the AI features. It's neat, but sometimes it could take a lot of space. But the fact that you can put it on a particular visual and get some of those insights and then customize it is, is phenomenal. And I think it's even part of the template, the new template theme, which means that you could basically enable it for every visual. You don't have to go in and, and uh, like to toggle on the narrative header tooltip. So I love I love the narrative, um, what, the, what they've done with this. And I think this is going to be a great context. So uh, smart narratives, I, I agree, right? The, the feature or let's call it a plugin right, uh, allows you to have a uh, textual description of what's going on in the visual with the data sets, essentially, yeah. right? Yep. Right. Um, what I'd love to see is that I don't send the data out into Smart Narrative and then get something back, mm. right? Like, mm -hmm. come on, come on, Power BI. You, you guys got ChatGPT, OpenAI, like, let's, let's, let's make that a service and plug it into Power BI, right? Like we have, we have multiple different right. avenues that we can explore and, and plug uh, these sorts of text uh, analysis and, and things in. And I'd, I'd love that to just sit in my ecosystem on my data sets. Mm -hmm. That would be, that would be amazing. And I want to see it. So for all you Microsoft listeners to our show. <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway. I would agree with you. But I, I agree. I, I do like the fact yeah. that it's part of the visuals now where Absolutely. that makes a lot of sense to me from an end user perspective. It doesn't have totally. to be this independent thing. Now it's just something that like innately makes sense. Like I'm looking at this visual and we talk about this a lot. Maybe I don't understand the visual. Maybe yes. I don't understand the data within it to have right. an option that describes it for me. That's a, that's, that's, that's a, that's a great feature. It's a great feature. However, it's done. And I, th I think there's also, I mean, a lot of times people want to read some level of text around what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it, 
for I, I don't my personal opinion i don't love just having text things living all over the, the page like yeah. having like a text box on the page just to me seems a little bit heavy-handed from just having to write out text and i don't think it's my opinion here it doesn't think i don't think it gets used as much as it should however having this smart narrative as a hover over tooltip um i do think that makes sense i do think that that makes like it's hidden enough that it's there in case you need it but you don't have to like you know force it in people's face and take up your landscape yeah. or your or your space around the 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 page. Anyways, I think I thought that was a really good one as well. I almost, I almost missed this. Like, Mike, do you have any favorites? <laughs> oh, well, I, I think I was going down the. I mean, I really think the conditional formatting based on strings. I think is going to be very impactful mm -hmm. for people. I think that's going to make a lot of changes for how people work inside their their table matrices. And I'm seeing, you know, again, I put the two links there: one from Daniel, one from Carrie, talking about what they're going to be doing with. Uh, smart lines, SVGs, all this kind of extra stuff. I think it's going to add a lot of use cases here. So that was one that was a big annoyance in desktop. Um, I think the custom visual pages inside the page navigator, I've been working on some page navigator items. I do really like the page navigator yeah. feature. Like the fact that I can just click on a button and it highlights what page I'm on. I have more options there. Um, so I really like the ability to have more fine grain control around what is actually in that um, the, the custom visuals page navigator. So I think that one, or custom visual pages, uh, whatever, the custom, the page navigator visual, whatever that one is, that one I think I'm going to use a good amount because I do use this a lot and it simplifies so much of your report, especially when you're trying to help people narrate a story across your report. So I really like that one as well. I think that's going to be a value add. I'm, what I'm driving at is the one that I'm, I don't understand because math um, oh, the line X. There's, the line there's X. two. There's two new functions. New DAX functions. Linear, yeah. linear, linear regression, right? Yeah, exactly. Line. Li the first way I read this was linest. Yeah, I was like, what is linest? It was linest X. <laughs> yes. Maybe it's line ST and line STX. Um, but either way, there's two new DAX, DAX functions that uh, receive uh, XY or mm -hmm. whole mm -hmm. tables to uh, do the maths on them. Yeah, and that's my best description. <laughs> if you guys can embellish there a little further, to do what they're doing with this required a lot more DAX code previously. So I, yeah. I like the fact that they're simplifying. So they must have seen enough use case where people are trying to do some sort of linear regression or linear modeling inside formulas that this made sense. So I, I'm very pleased that they picked up on this. And again, I, I want them to continue making DAX easier, add new functions, make it more intuitive, name the functions. Maybe not so cryptic as line ST, but like maybe don't, but but more functions that are making sense uh, when you're building things. I think that's very helpful. I like that they're continually adding that. I I love that they actually. They, I'm actually surprised that it took this long. So for me, we we've talked about this in a previous podcast about trying to do more with context and rolling averages. And honestly, the, the linear the linear models are something that if you are somewhat into statistics in Excel, you have some serious linear uh, formulas going on. Oh, so I would agree with that. Yeah. So I'm so happy that this is now just a built-in. I, I think there was a DAX workaround for all these years on the gallery. And I think it was like, it, it was an incredible amount of work for something that should be uh, second nature to Power BI. I agree. I think in overall, it's a solid update. And one of the most, so we, last night we had a Power BI user group for the Iowa Power BI user group, which was one, very fun. 
Uh, I was going to try and snag the link here for everyone, uh, just so you could you could check it out. Uh, highly recommend it. Nar, our speaker of the evening, was talking about how you can test and build data quality metrics inside your Power BI report, which was very simple, very straightforward, and gave you a really nice read of, hey, if you just check a couple key values in your report, these DAX measures will run and execute, and you can evaluate them all the way to, is this report good? 100, you can basically present a score on top of the report. I'd highly recommend it. Um, it was a great presentation about you know data proofing or proofing your data as you build your data model. So I'll put the link here in the chat description as well uh, in case you want to watch that. But it was a really good presentation. Um, but along that, at the end, what we do in our user groups, and for those of you who are listeners but don't come to our user groups or the user groups that are around, uh, we help out with a lot of user groups. We typically do like an hour-long presentation, and then after that, we kind of hang out and do what we call happy hour afterwards. The happy hour was amazing, and I stayed up way too late working on things with people. Um, one, NAR's presentation was really good. The technique was very elegant. I thought it was very well done, so very well thought out. Nice job speaking on that one, NAR. I really appreciate you on that one. Um, but I'll also say, after the fact, Darren Gospel, I don't, I don't know if you had, had noticed this, he had tweeted uh, or had made a LinkedIn post around something where he took a chat GPT, I think he blogged this one actually, he took a chat GPT um, uh, script, you can get the API, you can send your DAX statement into chat GPT, and it will describe how the statement works. So he actually wrote all the code, and all you need to do is go out to chat GPT, get the API, drop it into his script, and it will start updating all of your measures to have descriptions of what the formula does. We started playing with it last night and we were having way too fun, too much fun. We were writing chat GPT things, write my statements in Italian, write my statements in German, <laughs> write my state, like just all these different languages. And literally with a couple sentences, it would start translating these things into different languages. It was incredible. And then on top of it, we were doing some fun things where we we're like, okay, and now add a dad joke at the end. <laughs> And so we were writing our measures with, uh, you know, different languages with dad jokes wrapped up in it. So um, there was a fun little Twitter conversation that was happening last night as we were kind of really completing this. But there's oh, there's these moments of aha with this new technology we're getting. And we also at last night we experimented with having ChatGPT build Deneb visual code for us. It was shockingly good at doing that it could literally write you know hey chat gpt make me a bar chart with sales and countries and uh you know uh for and write it in you know vega light boom it just sits there and writes the whole here's how you would do this and it writes the explanation like and this is where the x-axis goes and this is where you have a title and then you can say add a title uh put the axis on the right hand side and it's it literally updates its context and rewrites the code for you i was floored i was literally in shock by how good that how well it worked um it wasn't perfect we couldn't get it to build a waterfall chart it did build a bullet chart but not quite how i would have built it but it was doing some pretty impressive things so Man, I'm impressed to see where this is going to go in the next couple of years, even couple months. I mean, it's going to be really impressive to see where this goes. Anyways, here's the whole Twitter conversation. If you want to follow it or jump on that uh, as well, I'll put that in the chat. Yeah, it's so cool. I, he the the link in there also provides uh, a, a link to the blog that he did, right? Yes, it so, does. It does so get the create create the API. There is you know uh, a limitation, 
right? And on the free, you can only do up to 20 calls per minute or something yes. like that. So, um, and then like one of the interesting things is each one of those calls is different, right? So the res the response is slightly different depending yes. on when you're executing okay. to, which we did is, some testing on which this. is interesting to me yes. because it, if I, I think in my use, it's uh uh, you, you have an option to saying, uh, go, go reevaluate your response to me. And that almost means to me that it's like, oh, I'll take the second, like the second response I would have given you or altered, alter it in a slightly different way. But the first response should be the best response. So am I getting lesser responses? The more API calls I make <laughs> on the same thing, <laughs> no. it's like finally just devolving into you're an idiot. <laughs> well, you know, Chad GPT now has a GPT plus. Uh, so yeah, now, right. You have a subscription. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that just gives you more unlimited access to use the API more frequently. So like if you yeah. want to use, I mean, it's, it's incredible though. Like the ease of like looking what Darren's solution was, it's a mm -hmm. one, it's just a great example of how do you call the API? It's the, the body, what you send to the API is super simple. Call yeah. it with a bearer token, put these parameters in the body, boom, out pops information. Like, you, oh my gosh, you can do all yeah, kinds of things with this. Oh, it's just, it's incredible that the fact you can just sling, sling text at it or sling a code at it and it just comes back with a reasonable answer. I will say this, we did do some testing on the multiple answers thing, Seth, and what we found was the simpler the equation, the less it changed the answer. So if you ran mm -hmm. it three or four times on a very simple, like sum or sum X, it didn't change the response too often. It would kind of, would it would kind of like settle into a response and it would kind of not change anymore. However, if you had more complex statements, that did more things like you were filtering a table or adding like a calculate in there it was then picking up and it seemed like it was doing a slight bit of changes but it seemed like the more complex the dax statement the more it was trying to change the response makes sense well i wonder I, yeah go ahead tommy no no i was gonna say what i love about it too is i think especially that it has that business definition or, or at least like the layperson's term um you're going to see a lot more searches for how do you actually show the now those descriptions and that ability to add a description of a measure becomes yeah. a lot more um, powerful, a lot more, I think, integral to what we do to kind of showcase that. Yeah, and I, and I, I think if I look about like this, this technology here that we're, we're looking at here, we're at, a, we're at a point where some more like, I, st I still think you need to be like, you need to know where to apply the technology. Right. There's this there's this challenge of like, it's really cool. It does a lot of neat things, but you have to know when and where to apply it. And so that you get a reasonable answer out of it. Like you can just throw junk at chat GPT and you'll get junk out of it. So I think there's going to be a little bit always of a design side of this that's going to make it more automated. I'm going to know. I'm, I'm very curious to see where it's going to go. Tommy, didn't you get the most recent um, Bing update? Are you? Are I you did. Yes, I, I know it's not working great, but I, I just got off the waiting list for Bing API. OK, so now I'm using the dev version of edge but like it's actually pretty cool for when it does work right now initial impressions what do you think well so i've been using it a ton for when i'm actually uh, trying to write or trying to use it at least um it, tommy's like what's the topic for today's podcast yeah exactly Give me a funny topic that would <laughs> exactly. incorporate chat gpt well, in one the of the really cool things is there's this like they have a bing button on edge dev and basically it will look at the page and you can chat about the page or if there's like a post or a blog or something you're trying to write in, yeah. say, what do you want to write about? And it'll give you a few options. And then the other one's just insights about the pages. The chat on the Bing search is pretty cool where you, 
it's still kind of weird not using Google or, and it's definitely not it's or being used to what Google would show like, okay, 18 stack overflows plus, yeah. you know, uh, three blogs plus another, you know, a few Reddit posts to try to uh, research something, but yeah. it has been great. And honestly, seriously though, chat GPT has been putting away a lot of the, what I would normally search for or find. Interesting. I think I mean, my impression here, based on what I saw, I, I sent Seth a video over the weekend and it's like, check this out. This is amazing. What this thing can do the fact that the Bing version of ChatGPT can actually use internet search to provide data to answer the questions that you're looking at or converse with it. To me, that is like the clincher here. The fact that it can search things faster than you can and find more context relevant information and bring it back to you was really shocking to me. So I, th I think this might be the push that moves Bing potentially above Google for a period of time until Google can figure out themselves and get their AI program working here. Cause it's apparently they had one and it didn't do very good. It was misstating facts on things and their stock tanked like crazy. So I, I'm not sure about, I think Google has Baird, uh, B-A-R-D I think is what theirs is. And it looks like right now they're kind of in scramble and critical catch up mode at this point. Cause they don't have an equivalent product to what chat GPT is doing or GPT I guess is doing anyways. Cool yeah, topic, the, the thing I love about this conversation is it and it has nothing to do with Power GPT, BI. Oh. No, ChatGPT and AI, right? Now being being pushed into more of a the public site. It's been around. Mm, sure. Right? It just yeah. it just hasn't resonated the way this this version that's been trained to actually make sense to us. Like it yeah, is I agree now all of a sudden, I think getting a lot more public attention. Um so the immediate roll-in of where we see these things where Microsoft has already been like doing a lot to integrate this into their tooling because you don't just turn this on two weeks after or a month after ChatGPT, like the latest version goes live yes. in your product unless you're like actively jumping into this. So one of the products that I've, I've started digging into or looking at a lot is their OpenAI service in Azure where they're also adding ChatGPT, but they also have pre predefined models and things that go above and beyond cognitive services right now. And I think it's still in preview, but it's definitely out there in the ecosystem. Um, but it, it'll be interesting like to see how and where we can start to apply AI in our data sets, in making sense of information. And my mind just automatically goes to you know some of the same areas that we talk about with you know narrative sciences today like there's this visual it'll it, it does these things to simplify what what data is in this visualization but like think about the power of a tool of a of an assist for us in visualization and explaining to end users like um here's here's a visual it makes sense in this context but as they're doing analysis maybe there's an outlier that pops up Right. And it just like, yeah. why, why did this dip occur? And it's not just a, you know, simplified, well, you know, the dip occurred because you didn't have enough sales, right? <laughs> like, well, no kidding. Yeah. But if it's, if it's more intuitive because we can put it on top of our own data sets and models to the point where it could be, well, uh, we don't have it because nobody put the put the data in Salesforce, <laughs> right? Like, or yeah. our source system, or and that's a you know kind of yep. a segue into the, to the topic today. But at the same time, man, there's a there's a lot of power behind um, these new 
new technologies that I'm excited about. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, and I think it's going to be neat to see where the Microsoft product team is going to integrate now with that stuff. Yeah. I will uh, one one final note, and I want to move on here. But as I think about these things around ChatGPT, most items that come out in the tech space they don't wow me as much I think as this tool did. I think I think to me this is what that's that is the the fuel that is fueling this fire at this point is the fact that you know Microsoft came up with a, num a number of smart generating narrative things across the Power BI product and it it kind of worked okay and it did some things kind of well and some things it didn't really do very well but I think the fact that you know when the, your first five minutes of interaction with any product it doesn't matter what it is this is this is like universal across the board any your first five mm -hmm. minutes if you look at something you're like oh that was slick or ooh, that was easier than I thought it was going to be. Or wow, I didn't expect that. If you if there's this this expectation showing up to something, and you throw out this statement or sentence, and the and the tool or software comes back and really wows you, I think that's what garners the excitement. And and I think it, the reason I'm bringing this up is I'd like Microsoft to do some of this with some of their features in the Power BI ecosystem, like to or any development. I mean, I mean, this could be any software, right? Mm -hmm. If you can come in and have a little bit of wow factor or a little bit of like, oh my gosh, that was much easier or this right. was, you know, that little bit of rem removing of that extra effort, I think goes a long way and it really helps drive adoption. I mean, what would you say? I think I heard last night we we're talking that there was like 5 million users, active users in the first day or something like that. It was some crazy amount. Like it just went crazy. Like so, wildfire. Right. Like wildfire. Like all it like, takes is like, holy cow. Like this wasn't like this I didn't think it's amazing. That. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I think yeah. I think the again, if I'm trying to generalize what was occurring here, mm -hmm. maybe, right? There is I show up to a website and I had a certain level of expectation. My expectation was at a lower level. The the tool, I typed something in and wow, the expectation was exceedingly met. And then seeing what other people did and what it was res returning results. I mean, it was funny stuff initially, like write me a poem about Power BI, da 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 da. And you're like, oh, that's kind of funny, but it was literally funny. It was shocking. It was surprising. So, I want to see. It was a million users in five days. Okay, sorry. Thanks for quoting me on that one. I didn't. I didn't it was a big number, but in five check, days, adoption. Keeping you in check. I got. I got the other way around. Not one day, five million. It was, okay. you know, one five days, one million. Anyways, cool. But anyways, regardless, like the idea here is, I think that the reason why it got so much adoption very quickly was this very much uh, an an expectation mismatch, and in the good way. I think in the same way, if you have something show up and it's a feature that's not that impressive, it's the opposite. It's like the exact opposite. It, you can you can kill something so fast if you have the opposite effect. Anyways, I, I just felt like that was a good observation. Anywho, want to move on to the normal topics today? We Enough about should. chat. Okay. <laughs> we probably should talk about the, real things. Halfway through the day. Yeah. All right. Fine. <laughs> Let's move on. So um, a couple sponsorship things we want to just kind of point out. There's some events coming up that we would love to promote. Um, we are promoting SQL Bits, which will be March 14th through the 18th at, in the UK at the ICC Wales. Uh, visit SQLBits.com. And if you want 5% off or 5% discount code, please use Power BI Tips 5 to get 5% off when you go to register for the conference. Um, additionally, there is another virtual conference coming up March 6th through the 10th. It is, uh, and I think on the Microsoft website, this is the largest Power BI conference you can go to. It is the Global Power BI Summit. Uh, I think I saw over 130 speakers and um, all of the sessions will be, will be repeated. So you'll be able to catch a session 
uh, no matter what time zone you're in. So anyways, go visit globalpowerbisummit.com to check out that as well. All right. After we've burned almost a good 30 minutes just talking about fun things, let's get into our actual topic for today. Tommy, frame us out here a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, data manipulation. And, and this could be, let's think, things is a bit bigger than just Power BI. This could be data manipulation in your business teams. What does that look like? And, and maybe what are some of the implications that we find here um, related to how Power BI works with that, that data? So, or do you manipulate the data so it says yeah. what you want? So I think the origin of this topic came from you, a nice segue too from Tuesday talking about Excel where, yes, we have use cases of either Excel or Power BI, but too often businesses are not just touching uh, standard systems. They're, they're touching things like Salesforce and they have either legacy systems or legacy files or data that they rely on to this day over built time and uh, um, in history and also too with other systems i uh, dynamics and salesforce where uh, people can input their own information and it's unstructured so to speak so normally I, we would take this as a developer and go hey we need to transfer this to a SQL database and in order for this to be clean, we don't want to rely on someone else inputting, modifying data without it being uh, verified. But I think we live in, uh, our reality is companies have more than one system, more than one platform they're using and touching their data. So really what should the BI developer do and how should they work with those teams and those users and those systems um, in terms of how can they accommodate and then when is it a time to actually say okay we need to transfer this to something a little more structured the the question that comes to mind between tommy what you said and what's happening in the chat here is do we manipulate the data or does the data manipulate us hmm the eternal well, if you don't realize that the data is wrong, it absolutely is manipulating <laughs> and your decision making, right? I mean, to some degree, right? I mean, that's why you're that's why you play with the data, right? Is is to change what you're thinking or change your mindset or change your mental model about what's going on here. I'm sorry, that might have been too like philo uh, philosophical for a seven thirty meeting in the morning. <laughs> I'm still I'm still reaming because of all the the Chat GPT things here. So when I think about manipulating data, I mean, I think my first thought goes to our conversations around virtuous waste. That, that's where my initial thought goes to is we, we do a lot of moving around and pushing around our data and shaping it so that we can have information about it. And I keep coming back to this topic around, you know, we need to automate. You need to pull out the virtuous waste. You know, just because you did something a certain way one time doesn't mean you should go back and copy paste the data and move it between sheets inside Excel or right. all the, I mean, I feel like there's a, there's a level here of like, we really need to be smarter about, okay, the tools are getting better. I mean, doggone it. Microsoft is providing a free Power BI desktop to everyone who wants to go get it. There is no excuse to go learn this stuff at this point. There's, there's no barrier to entry here, unlike other tools in the, in the market where you have to even pay to play. So I just think it's, just, it's such a great tool here. And if the more we can think about, okay, that, again, I'm thinking manipulating data as in uh, how do you handle it appropriately? So I, I think maybe another point here I would, I'll throw out here as well that we can talk to is where, like, 
there's this balance between I need a flexible solution that lets me change data quickly. And then there is a, I needed a regulated way to get access to that data over and over again. Like, and this, and where I'm going with this is, this is Excel for me, right? I love Excel. It's a great tool. It makes tables of data wonderful, but there's so much flexibility in the tool that it makes it difficult for Power BI or other tools to consume from it. Because if you add a column, if you rename a column, if you put text in a numerical column, uh, Excel will let you do it. That's the point. It's super flexible. So I, I struggle in the area of where's the right balance between structured and cleaned data versus unstructured and flexible data. And that's, to me, that's where I feel like a lot of this, for me, a lot of this discussion has been had before previously. I think, yeah, we have talked on, I think on topics many, many times. <laughs> there are words in there somewhere. I, <laughs> I, I think where I'm going to end out of this conversation is creating a chart, right? And it's it because we talk about this path towards, you know, uh, people building a report right off, off the of their own data sets, they're variable, they can do different things with them, like, and there's more risk involved, right? So... I, I think on the far left of the spectrum of not necessarily, you know, uh, something you shouldn't do, but one of the power points of Power BI is the fact that any user in a business can automatically plug into multiple different data sources because they may only have access to these elements of data through these avenues, right? If I need Salesforce data, if I have one report that's generated coming out of SQL, but I don't have access to the SQL server, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my own Excel file where I've done a lot of work. I'm com I'm compiling all of this in my own report that means something to me and there's me? value there. Yes. So there is always value, I think, to some degree in reports that are generated by somebody for themselves or for a small group of people. And they belong yes. on this far left of spectrum. And that, that yes. spectrum is, is there, there's a value there. It's rapidly innovated and I can get the answers I need and solves the business problem. That's the underlying challenge with that is this gets a red for risk because mm -hmm. it's multiple varied data sources. I'm not an ETL professional. I'm not doing any data validation. I don't know what's going on. I'm just reporting the numbers as I get them. And then if you do go on the opposite side, we've talked at length, you're in yes. enterprise space, you're a BI developer, you have data coming out of a warehouse or thoroughly vetted systems that have SLAs around them, that have data cleanliness. Um, the reports are on time, people are monitoring them, you know, like it's it's the best data or should be the best data that the organization has. And there's like, you reduce risk to the point where there's, it, it's green, right? Like I should be able to trust all of the numbers in here. And if I can't, you're telling me today that I can't, right? Like there's an indicator that tells me something in my data sets went a little awry and we're fixing it or here's the outlier of like what what you're not going to see or something right and that takes mm -hmm. a lot of time it takes a lot of time systems and things to to vet and i think there's like what two three other boxes in between you know each one of these goalposts that are a little like where you start to alleviate risk and how much of an impact or where people can make an impact with manually manipulating data in systems or your reports being impacted by those data changes into more of a governed data quality, et cetera, spectrum 
that I think they talk about a lot in, you know, as you're trying to improve your, your data um, culture, data, you know, quality phases in your organization. I think reporting follows that same theme, right? Like you have it like, but it, it's not demeaning, I guess, value is my other point, right? Because even though I may be in the high risk, data may change in any of my systems, there's still value in the report that I'm I'm looking at because it's saving me time somewhere. Mm -hmm. Man, so many thoughts on this one. Tommy, you're going to lay up something so, there. I think you're going to say something. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing though too is it's it's so hard to, to manage. It's so hard to one, keep up with all those systems and even trying to categorize to say, you know, what's... Uh, you know, in need of a migration or, or need of a better process. But at the same time, I mean, it's amazing. Just go, go talk to your neighbors, go talk to your clients where even though they're investing all this money in new software and new tools, there are still systems and uh, that everyone has to go in and it's important for them to input the data and manage that information. But it's, it goes to accountability too where it's we this goes back to technology uh people and process where a lot of the technology is more and more flexible to hey you can uh, enter anything that you need to but they either systems don't talk to each other or these systems are not made to um be in a structured database right where mm -hmm. in terms of from a categorization point of view i i think most technology can be customized now but when people are utilizing their technology and their systems they're not thinking about this on a you know we need to have an ordinal ranking here or grouping and we need to make sure that we always have a structured value for this the customer's zip code it's just putting in information that works for that technology uh, so I think we have an, a huge opportunity rather than saying, no, we can't use Salesforce, your team can't use Salesforce to um, kind of a, approach these teams in uh, these situations in two ways where one, helping them really create some structure around that and mm -hmm. understanding where this is going, what value could be if they actually had, you know, put in the status for, for an opportunity, for example. And then on the other side of the coin, I think this goes in that conversation of accountability. So I'll, I'll leave it there for now. So I do like both those points, like accountability is also part of that chart, right? Even in the yeah. far spectrum of like high yep. risk, Agreed. if, if, if I'm developed, like any report that's shared, it, it, it almost makes sense to have that data set, like who's the owner of this? Where is this coming from? And who can I contact when things don't align? Because I don't think Power BI does a decent job of that in the service. Like you, you just deploy stuff to a workspace, multiple people can be there, you know, it can get shared out to anybody, but who's, who's the owner of the report that's responsible for the data behind it, even within small teams. Yeah. I, I I'm not like it it makes sense that we would be able to do that, like tag ourselves, or maybe, maybe we do that in the report from now on. I don't know. Um, I guess the problem with that is you, you'd have to go into the report and update it based on people moving departments or leaving or you know, like what a hot mess that would be, which is probably why it's not done. But either way, accountability somewhere, a matrix certainly sounds like a good idea, especially in these, you know, in, I think any level, but to your point, I think 
data culture also like developing a data culture or having a team that is focused on internal initiatives is one of the reasons you want a team that is focused on internal initiatives because it helps other people in the business understand these concepts that we're talking about, mm -hmm. right? I, if, if, if all they care about is, hey, there's this new reporting tool and oh my gosh, I can connect all this data together and I can automate a report I did that took me two hours to do and now it just refreshes, that's value. That's business value to me. Yes. I'm not gonna think about the risk involved of connecting to these sources who's changing or modifying the day. I'm just going to make my decisions off of this. And then the wider it goes or the bigger the audience, hey, great, people like my report. Versus showing people why they should care about like, hey, uh, do you now have 100 users using your report? Let, let's have it like you should be prompting right. the BI team to come have a conversation and figure out or say, um, do you guys have a backend system where we're already collecting this data that we have a lot more structure around that we can make sure that the data here is is validated and checked and and trustworthy because all it takes in reporting and and people who've been around long enough know that if somebody come like the vast majority of your end users are just going to make decisions off the reports there's a subset that go in and every time are the ones that are pessimistically looking at your numbers going, something doesn't work. Makes sense here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm checking it against my source system and it's not right. And all it takes is one person to go, your report is not accurate. And everybody else just goes, whoop. Yep. Right. I'm yep. not going to look at it anymore because yep. your data is not trustworthy and trying to walk back from that is really difficult because to end users, it's just a number in a report. This right. is where NARS it's just a bar chart and it's yeah. really hard to, yeah. to say, no, no, you guys can trust it now. How? Right. And and that's why I'm saying mm -hmm. like you go through these efforts of standardizing, bringing a lot of this data into a, an arena that it's validated, checked, monitored, et cetera. And that's what that whole, you know, agreement behind the scenes is, yes. which is why you slap a gold data set or, you know, Certified some other differentiation. Mm -hmm between those types of reports and reports that come from just business users. So I love what you're going with that, Seth, and there's a lot of points around this one. So what you what you described here was one of the reasons why NAR, NAR's presentation last night was so good, because it talked exactly to that point. Hey, how can I trust the data? How can I know when I made a change to a data model, what I published last week is the same as the, the, the historical data that I published this week. I didn't lose any data. There's no changes in the quality of the data over time. You can basically make tests against your data and say, this is this is why you can trust my data. I've already done this rigorous amount of testing. Here's the proof. It's here in another report or here in a data quality report. Like this is why. And so at some point there has to be, you know, instilled trust to what you're doing. Um, and then an, I'll, I'll leave that point there. But I have a, another kind of two points here that kind of go along with this that you guys are both talking about. I think it's really valuable to understand the conversation around data stewardship. What you guys are saying to me, there's, there's on one end of the spectrum, it's self-service. Do what you want. It's Excel. It's ad hoc. On the other end of the spectrum, it's totally enterprise. It's governed. It's, it's, it's regulated, and it's, there's people and process put around to make sure that data is regularly updating and accurate based on what you know. So I think in here is very clear. As I think about the spectrum of what Power BI is doing today, there is like never before, more ability for people to have um, a higher amount of 
how would I say, um, of, con of control further up towards the raw data. Like think about all the control surfaces we have for data, data marts, data flows, which is just making tables of data. You have data sets, which is mm -hmm. relationships of tables and calculations on those tables. You have reports. Now you have scorecards. I mean, that's five new things where you could say, you know, my team will own the all the information from data flow to data set to report, and I'll give you a baked report. Boom. That's what you can use. That's that's the certified element. We're working to make sure that this one report is accurate. We will own that. Now, what happened when people export data out of that report? That's where it's clearly communicated that no, that is now your responsibility. Things you do to manipulate that data after it leaves that report, not my responsibility. So I think I think the data ownership and drawing lines in the sand, you know, some teams may need more data or just access to the data. So you may be giving them access to go build your own reports on the data set level. So that so to me that that takes the control plane further upstream. And then my team can focus on just making sure the data set is refreshed and accurate. And then even further now, you can go all the way back up to now, I'm going to go give you a data flow, which means now you have the raw tables out of or transformed or clean data, whatever that rule is, right? You're now giving even further access to where the data is being originating from. So I think to me, the conversation here is a lot around, you know, we're talking manipulation of data is how much and whose role and where you're going to divide those lines. Because I don't think at the at the rate of which people use and manipulate data today, I don't think you're going to ever be able to have a single team that will be able to handle all your requests. I think you have to be strategic about picking the best, most important data and forming the team around that. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's reasonable to even assume within organizations today that a single, well, larger organization, that a single team manages all the report requests. Yeah, totally. Smaller, smaller orgs, absolutely. Maybe, right? maybe yes. There could, and, and we have a lot of, I think, listeners that come that chime in and be like, what if I'm the only one that does all of these things, <laughs> right? Like, yes, you are the only person that is doing all the reports for the organization. Um, so, but I think your, I think all of your sentiments make, you know, all of your points make sense in that there's this spectrum but, uh, while you're going on though. Like, I think I also break it down into, um, maybe risk is full manipulation. Like I'm, I'm the report author. I do everything with the data sets I'm merging them. I'm, you know, I'm doing my own stuff to make something of value. Mm -hmm. Partial is, is kind of potentially like what you were talking about, which is maybe there is a curated data set. And we're providing mm -hmm. that to the user and yeah. and we've done so like that's 90% of the, the work, the, the manipulation, like the, yeah. the risk is we've already done that. But if it's one of one source of something that you're going to be using in your report, you still own the, the calculations, you still own some of the joining of that data together in the model, right? So there's a level of manipulation there that is occurring. Um, maybe it's even reduced further if the only way to modify data to coming into a report is via an application, right? Mm -hmm. Because then that goes through the cycle of ETL processes to get to a data repository that you're pulling data from. And then there's none, right? Like, and that's the BI team. That's the, that's the person who's got sole responsibility for all data coming in and out of reports. But I think within there, there's a the whole spectrum of different levels within the organization that you were outlining that it is valid use cases and you know like more risk 
is mm-hmm. involved in in the more manipulation somebody you know can do with the um the data behind the scenes but as i was speaking like what's your take guys on technically anyone who's building a report is introducing data manipulation because we're mm-hmm. applying tax measures totally you're applying the yep. final way we're aggregating that data yes. in the calculations that are dynamic within reporting which there's a whole slew of ways you could screw that up, right? Oh, and most most certainly. I mean, this is this is one of the you know the complaints of the table measure, the table measure uh, visual, right? Just dropping a simple sum on top yeah. of a table, yeah. the, the filter context yeah. can change between the rows and the totals, and the right. totals just don't match what's in the rows because technically the filter context changed at the totals row level. So, like you know, simple things like that will will also potentially create problems or issues here as well, um, where the filter context changes, and again. I think, so to your point there, right, what do you think about the final, like DAX is, is for sure man, manipulating your data, 100%. I, I totally agree with you. I also think your understanding of DAX will either enable you to manipulate data effectively, or it will then add noise to your data or get incorrect results. So I, I really feel like there is scales or there's levels of uh, let's call that that the persona around like the data modeler, right? That's the person who's modeling the information in the data. They have a very specific skill set that will really depend on if they're effective in their job, they'll be able to get through these things and be able to manipulate data in a true way and get to the answers they want. I think you are at risk to your point like you were saying earlier, Seth, which I really like the idea here is like, where are we in this whole data story? Where should we be taking out the risk? And I, I thought that was a, that's right. really insightful because you're inter- at any point in this whole path, data flows, data sets, reports, at any point, you're then able to add risk. So what are we going to do to remove as much risk as possible? I think that's a really good point. I think the biggest thing, it, to me, it, it really goes back to the accountability side of it, where no matter what you try to implement or uh what those risks are you this goes back to buy-in where unfortunately the normal bi user here who is just trying to tell their sales team to enter in information the right way or to review it there has to be that buy-in and also that that um the uh call it the the benefit of putting the information right but also the accountability and that it matters and it really matters for um not following a certain process and unless users and teams have that pressure to at least follow those uh, those methods, follow that inputting that information from higher up from their boss, it's not going to be something that's going to be easily easily pushed through. What's the difference between like you said accountability there, and I was talking about like um, data stewardship or ownership. How would you define? Is that different than what are you, is accountability to you different than stewardship or ownership of data yeah i mean the i think honestly the stewardship is a luxury that a lot of teams don't have and i think the other part of it too is i think even if you're the sales rep or sales manager you still have to be responsible for some of your information because you're the one updating your uh, you know, your statuses and, and your customers or the product information. But no, I think the steward thing is something that needs to be introduced more. But I, it's like, 
to me, does it, it seems like it's very low on the totem pole. No. I would think I, I feel like in, you, you said something there that kind of struck a chord with me. Stewardship is not a luxury of is, is not a luxury teams have. I would kind of argue at that point, I think a little bit. I think stewardship is something that teams inherently have, but yet they do not enforce it, nor do they embrace the idea of stewardship or ownership of certain things. And I think when you start realizing like this data, like to your point, your example, right? There's a team entering data somewhere into a system, right? There's standards around that. Um, either the system's designed well and it restricts the enter data to only accurate things, or it's not, and you're going to get weird data. So if you enter the wrong sales region for a sales, you know, item, whatever that is, it's going to be wrong. You can't like that's the the onus on that was somebody else. But like in this stewardship area, if you're the middleman or middle person working on this data thing, right? If you're the person in the middle here looking at how this data moves through your pipeline, if you're not providing answers back to that front end team that says you did something wrong, even if it's a report after the fact, you are taking ownership of it when you shouldn't be. So I think, again, I think the data team should be pushing with more stewardship and really defining who the roles are. And that when I was working on a lot of like master data level things, that was like the hardest thing to get buy-in from people. It was, and this is where I think executive sponsors make a lot of difference here because many people deal with data across many different teams. If you have a dev team, they're gonna make, they're gonna generate data a, a different way than you maybe need it to be in. And you need someone at the leadership level to say, hey team, shape up, this is your data, fix it. Someone needs to push on other people in the teams to make sure that this stuff all kind of shakes out the same way. And I, I feel like whether you like it or not, stewardship and ownership is there it's just a matter of whether or not you actually communicate the need for it and the culture of your business allows you to like push it out to the organization. Yeah. But, but see, there is, there is a distinction here from the standpoint that who, who is on the far spectrum of people building their own stuff, who's responsible. Right. And, and until it gets to a certain point, because those things that you're talking about require some organizational structure around and or processes that people understand or that um, data is pushed through right if 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 i'm saying my sla on data is 99.9 percent, .9%, then nothing changes like you're in the slow world right that means if something's going to change it goes through governance data quality checks like meetings happen nothing changes in that ecosystem unless it goes through a governed process of everybody understanding change is coming and then yeah. they implement the change exactly that makes a hundred percent sense but that also means the organization has invested time effort and people to make the that, process towards right. that yeah so i guess what i'm hearing is tommy saying like it, it doesn't matter if you're building a report, somebody's responsible for it. And like, well, in yeah. theory. So I, I guess to there are differences. And I think that's also why it's it's important for us to walk business people or the business itself through this evolution of not just report, but data in general. Yes. If if we are the Wild West, you can't expect the lowest risk, best reports. Yes. Yes. If we if we want yes. to get to this point, we as an organization or report, you know, writers, authors, etc. Yes. Need to go through these steps. And as we go through these steps behind us, we build process that says you can't just have so and so, you know, certify a data set when he's using Excel and Salesforce and just randomly whipping stuff together in Power Query. Yeah, exactly right. right. Like there are yes. rules about how you get to 
not have to worry about like a trust level of data in a report. So I, I guess my question though, is because we have this spectrum, which is always a challenge in our conversations and with Power BI, because Power BI branches all of these, mm -hmm, <laughs> anybody mm -hmm. can use it. Are there methods for us to, to catch or should we be implementing something on like a report level or somewhere that would help us understand when data does change behind the scenes? Like one, yeah. a couple off the top of my head. And I don't know if they're worth it because it's also a time investment. Yes. Right. <clears throat> Is do, do you introduce like testing business logic on a page or do outlier detection in the report as best you can, like on a source system against your data set? Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, but like, ultimately I think that's like the bare minimum step, Tommy, that you can make and would have to get buy-in and agreement on in the organization to say, Hey, I need to spend some extra time on developing these reports to the tune of a day or something, yeah. right? Because data analysis is not something that just like, bam, like you, it just automatically makes sense. And you can automatically figure out all of the different variations of data that you're looking for. What is an outlier? When does bad data get detected? What are the things you're checking? Like that, that's a, it takes a while, right? So yeah. like, how do you get buy-in to do that? No, I, I, look at, again. I also think too, the, to me, the main point for me a lot, and when I'm talking with clients around this is identifying what kind of reporting are we doing? Are we talking about team BI, departmental, or enterprise? Like if you can just bucket where this report fits, you can then apply some thought around what is the rigor required to produce that information. But I think I think it really matters. Like what is the intent? Like this is why I think it's really good. A good, a best practice would be is. When everyone, when you're getting report requests or you're getting data model requests or we're going to be putting our organizational data together, what kind of reporting are we looking at? And I think I think that's a very interesting, um, I, I think you think you start there and from there you can form policies and, and, and document what you think it should be. And again, I think this is also a data culture thing, right? Your point, Seth. Oh, just whip out the Excel sheet and just get all this, all the data done, done, move on. All right, great. That may be a couple hour activity where if you're talking about an enterprise BI solution, you shouldn't be doing that. It shouldn't be all resting on one person's shoulder and clearly communicating like the expectations like you expect, like it's the idea of like, if you expect your car to run like a Ferrari, but you're only willing to pay for like a Toyota, right? Like I, there's, there's a mismatch in expectations there. And I think having that report audience identified, you know, those kind of things ticked off in the initial point, you can point to like, okay, what I hear you're saying is you're asking me to build a team type report, but you're asking me to support it like a enterprise level report. There's a mismatch here. So what can we do to close that gap? I think that's a good point. Regardless, I think I, I think data manipulation by teams is is always going to happen on some level. Right? Yes, I'd agree either, with that. Either, it's gonna either happen. you have controls in place to minimize or identify that risk before it impacts reports and that's the best case scenario um or you don't and anything that changes in those source systems you you aren't even validating and it just shows up in your report either way when when somebody is manipulating data like it is really it is really important for report builders to clearly articulate to the business what type of reports they're getting right now does it mean they can't trust them at all? No, it means that 
in in those lower spectrums, any change to data is going to change the report, right? Yep. So it is not ultimately the responsibility of the report author all the time about something that is wrong or changed in a report. Yes. More often than not, in that lower spectrum, the, the organization needs to know it's not going to get 200 miles an hour out of the Pinto. Exactly. Right? Yes. If you want, if you want, if you want the high high performance car, you have to invest a lot in getting the high performance car. Exactly. It's, so it's, it's a lot a of lot, its communication as well. Yes. Mismatch of expectations. And again, for those for those of people who are, who are working about and struggling maybe or thinking through this one, you have to start somewhere. You have to write down the expectations at some level. Just writing them down and putting them in a center of excellence or community practice or putting down what those things look like, communicating this, I think is a, a good first step in being able to say, you know, uh, showing people what we think the alignment or misalignment in those expectations are um, would make sense. Dan, Dan Meisner just dropped that V8 in a Pinto. What could go wrong? I'm like that, that, uh, it reminds me of a phrase my, my classic car buddies have. That's hot rodding, bud. <laughs> like just, <laughs> right? Maybe you can, maybe you can, but that's hot rodding, bud. <laughs> that's amazing. Anyways. Super good conversation. We've burned. You've done it with us again. Uh, we've burned through a perfectly good hour, just kind of hanging out, talking about more data things. I hope this was some value conversation. The chat was amazing yet again. Really good job, uh, chat, jumping in with the topics, coming up with your own uh, areas and expertise around this. Thank you so much for participating. We really appreciate you. If you like the conversation we're having here, our this is all free to you. So our only our only ask, if we if we could ask something of you, the listener. Share it with somebody else. Find someone else you think may want to listen to or get a couple laughs or enjoy some of the conversation here that we're, we're talking about here as well. So we thank you very much for your time. And uh, Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? You can find the podcast anywhere. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn. Make sure to subscribe on your podcast. And, what are we at? 189 episodes. You're cutting out there a little bit on video, uh, so I'll just quickly summarize there just to make sure we cut it all in there on the on the audio clip. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Power BI Tips Explicit Measures podcast on Spotify and every other social media platform. We're here every Tuesday and Thursday, 7.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. Talk to you all soon. Appreciate it.